Welcome to the Ransomware Battleground, where we dive into the world of cybersecurity and hear firsthand from those that are deep in the fight to protect your data and peace of mind. Think your network is secure? Let's check out how secure you really are with this week's chat, Tactics and Measures for Ransomware in the Enterprise. I'm joined today with Paul Fredrickson, cybersecurity consultant, most recently with Dell, and Jeff Mann, information security evangelist and noted contributor to the Tribe of Hackers book series. Today's conversation is focused on the importance of process and procedures to secure our environment. But we also dig in to understand the motivations on why hackers are attacking with increasing sophistication. I'm your host and moderator, Sia Yasutornrat. Before we get started, I've got to give a shout out to our sponsor, AirGap, the best defense against ransomware. With a zero trust isolation platform, AirGap confines ransomware to a single device. Put an end to threat propagation and protect your infrastructure in minutes, not months. Now, let's enter the battleground. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. Welcome to the Ransomware Battleground. My name is Sia, and today's conversation, super excited to talk about tactics and measures for ransomware in the enterprise workplace. I might add a little bit more to SMB just because I'm part of that SMB world. Today joining us is Mr. Paul Fredrickson, my very good friend and information security consultant extraordinaire. Paul, welcome. Hello. And Jeff Mann, information security evangelist at Online Business Systems and all around nice guy, though he claims to be your curmudgeon. Welcome, Jeff. Hey, see, it's uh, nice to join you today. It's it's not a claim. I am a member of something called the Cabal of the Curmudgeons. So it's a capital C official lifetime membership. Oh, I love it. Do I, you get a card with that too? I mean, <laughs> no, I, I do get a uh, shot glass though. Oh, there you go. Nice. Oh, hey, this sounds like my kind of organization. Uh, although something tells me I'm a little too peppy. <laughs> yeah, it's early in the morning, perhaps for you. <laughs> well, we are. <laughs> we we we. It, well, you know, it's Friday. It's morning everywhere, right? So, gentlemen, I do want to kind of just kick things off with you know, we talk about ransomware attacks in general, and we've seen in 2020 a huge increase in the double extortion attacks and just ransomware in general and hacking overall as the pandemic has really forced a remote workforce. And so, I kind of want to chat up a little about some recent attacks that we've seen. I'd like your opinions on it. And it's not necessarily just ransomware, just in general, because a couple of these stories kind of freaked me out. So one very uh, recent as of this week is a Florida water uh, plant attack. And when I saw that, it wasn't so much that I was surprised that the plant was attacked. It was the idea of, wait a second, these hackers really are going after infrastructure. I mean, could you guys imagine if the lie concentration were actually to go out there and we didn't manage it or they didn't want to manage the water, the implications of public health? So I ask you guys, are, am I being uh, sensationalistic and freaking out a little bit of saying how easy it sounded like that this hack happened? No, you're not. I mean, that's the short answer. I mean, it doesn't fill up a lot of time, but it's a it's it shows the systemic failure of security for this public resource, which you know could kill thousands of people. Because you know that's it's the same with the power plants, right? Like we're in the middle of a cold wave here in Texas right now. If someone didn't go after the water system, but let's say they went after like the electric grid, 
And, you know, some senior citizen was sitting at home in front of their little space heater. You know, you turn off the electricity that that person could freeze. You know, it's not quite as as dramatic as poison water, but, you know, the 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 infrastructure hacks are are they should keep you up at night. Yeah, I was actually going to say it's kind of a yes and no, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, I, I agree with everything that Paul has said, but uh, on the flip side, um, if you look at the the motivation of the attacker, and that's something that has been you know studied for many years. I don't know how well it's understood these days, but I'm I'm DoD trained. I learned. You know, I worked for an organization that did infosec. That was all we did. Uh, back at the National Security Agency in the mid-80s to the mid-90s. And the way I learned it there, uh, the bad guys, what we called threats or what is more commonly known as a threat actor these days, uh, there was a lot of attention and a lot of research paid to what the motivation of, of the attacker was. And, you know, from the beginnings of uh, the Internet and in Internet security, which is what we call this industry in the, in the early days, in the early to mid-90s, what we now call cyber, um, uh, you know, the motivation back then in the early days was mostly sort of bragging rights. It was that proverbial kid in the basement uh, uh, of his mom's house, just seeing where he could go. You know, the movie War Games, it was that type of thing. Uh, for most of the, the last 20 years, the focus, uh, uh, the motivation of attackers has been, uh, and very successful, I might add, uh, trying to make money, trying to monetize it. I mean, that's why ransomware is so prevalent right now is because uh, people figured out how to monetize something and they're going and there's an element of society that's going to try to capitalize on that. Um, what's, what's not often talked about, but has been long understood is the, uh, and this sort of goes back to the Cold War and espionage, which is sort of what I grew up in, uh, the motivation of the bad guy, the attacker is, uh, you know, politically motivated or, mm-hmm. uh, you know, think of the, uh, you know, the various green sort of what we call environmental hackers, you know, hacktivism, hacktivism, yeah, uh, you know, threat actors that are doing things to, uh, you know, try to for a cause, uh, whether it's political or, or soci- you know, social or whatever their their aspirations are. Um we don't often think about, and, and frankly, I think this is probably why it hasn't happened yet or as much as we, we think, you know, the, 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 the attack against critical infrastructure, and in this case, a water treatment plant, is so far the, the motivation has been, has been to make money, not so much, you know, let's start a war, let's, let's you know, start a, you know, a civilization-ending event, uh, or you know something that potentially kills thousands of people. This is just simply my opinion, but I don't think the motivation has been there yet for the proverbial trigger to be pulled. Um, it's not saying it's not coming, and and uh, but the sad reality is it, it's 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 very feasible and very doable as we found out this week. Well, I mean, it goes back to like you were saying the the government of this country and their their stated policies in, you know, information security and internet related types of things where they prefer mm-hmm. offense versus defense. And right. this is what I try to talk to a lot of people about is, you know, that we prefer to have the best offensive tools in the world 
so that we can go do these things to other people. And like what happened with Stuxnet, you know, we started putting these ideas and these techniques and these, let's call them frameworks out into, out into the, you know, into the, the, the headspace or, you know, whatever you want to call it of the rest of the world. And, you know, unsurprisingly, the internet has adapted and they're using the same tools that we used against them on us. And, right. and yes, there's, you know, this, the Florida water plant, it seems like it might be a disgruntled employee or something like that, you know, so it's, the motivations do count quite a bit, but the fact that the vulnerabilities are out there and, you know, the, the, the proverbial script kitty can just say like, oh, wouldn't it be cool, you know, if I, you know, destroyed the water system for a town. You know, teenagers, I was once a teenager um, many, many, many years ago, <laughs> you know, and I, you would do things just to do them, you know, because you were still trying to figure out what was right and wrong in the world. And, you know, there's a lot of that power out there. And that's that's kind of why I find these, you know, more like an existential threat, you know, kind of like Elon Musk with AI, you know, who's saying we need to be very proactive about AI, because if we wait to be reactive when AI is smart enough to basically get around us, we won't have a chance to regulate it. You know, which is a very scary thing to think about. <laughs> well, and you know, along those lines, I mean, most science fiction movie and novel plots that you know revolve around you know the advancements of robots and what we now call AI, most of them don't end well. <laughs> Not yeah. no, and granted, they're written by you know they're written by humans, you know, and we we tend right. to have you know a, a a dramatic ending like that always you know sells more books, but it's it's. You know, if you play the probabilities out, it, it very well, you know, the advanced computer could think that we're, you know, ants. Like people don't care if they step on ants typically, you know. The, right. And if we let it get smart enough where it can do something about that, because, you know, we're in trouble. Because I, I kind of think of that because they're, they're building the giant new Tesla, fact, Tesla factory down here in Austin. And you look at the scale of this building and you just, you know, see that there's apparently people who've made a career of flying little drones around this building. But I kind of wonder on there, like, are, are we building the plant that makes the Terminators in some respect? Because, you know, they were showing the robot storage off to the side of this. And it's, you know, just container after container after container just filled with robots. And you're like, okay, uh, what, what if these robots don't build us nice new Tesla trucks and they decide to build, you know, terminators to come after us <laughs> wait so in my other podcast uh innovation calling i have been pointing out many times when we talked about ai though guys is that the ai is only as good as the coding that it was put into it so if you've got a malicious programmer that was like yeah you know what i'm mad today and i'm going to add in a few lines of code saying you know if i get upset i'm going to do x amount of you know code for whatever so my understanding is is skynet I have always said I will always be the first one to throw us humans down just so I could survive. I'm, I totally admit it. <laughs> well, no, um, but this, I, I'm talking specifically not to contradict you too much. I'm talking about general AI. You're talking about specific AI. So, yeah. You, that is, you, but you we're know, talking so. about AI in the context of like also though, like in general, though, I mean, it's really predominantly more about automation. Right. And and and. and and, and being more efficient, right? Isn't that where AI really kind of kicked oh. in to, to increase efficiency? It's not well, just the robot, right? Sadly, it's now mostly about picking things for you to listen or watch on Netflix, you know, or having, <laughs> or, or, you know, having your Apple, whatever digital assistant you want, like turn on the lights in your house or tell you when your packages. I was just Amazon. talking about <laughs> Nike shoes and now I'm getting ads on my phone for Nike mm -hmm. shoes. How is that happening? 
Oh, don't even, oh, oh. Yeah, we, don't, we, don't, do. want, we don't want to go down the people as a product Facebook uh, discussion here. We'll get a little sidetracked there because. Totally sidetracked. And I, don't get me started, but I will say this. I was doing a happy hour the other day with my friends and we were, it was a gift exchange and we were talking about, you know, gift exchange amongst adult women kind of went down a path. And next thing I know, all my ads are come up with a very interesting gifts to give to each other. So yes, we oh, are yeah, being well, listened I mean, that, to. Free money, free money. That, Free money. <laughs> Send well, me it goes money. Back, it, it goes back to the Target thing, right? Where they were trying out their their new advertising system, and then it was what was it? It was a young girl, and then the who was pregnant, and then her father started getting all these pre, you know pregnancy product related emails, and mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure that it, that ended up pretty dramatically, you know. Yeah, <laughs> that those are the marketing tactics here. So we're talking about tactics and measures for this show, you guys, and so. Can, can either one of you or both at the same time, I'd be very intrigued to hear your thoughts, but can you explain to me the difference, the differences of tactics one should consider as if they're in the enterprise, if they're an SMB, or if they're maybe like a home, just a home network, because to clarify home networks to me, feels like an SMB, right? It's not like a five node network anymore, right? Now everything under the sun is connected over IP, even your toaster is, right? So it feels like to me the home network is becoming like an SMB network, if you will, of a small business. So can you guys help me understand what tactics is bare minimum to just ensure that they're not at least having a front door wide open for these types of attacks? So uh, it, it, to me, it's, it's, it's a little bit of a trick question because before, before you talk tactics, you have to, in my mind, kind of talk motivation. And you know what what motivates an enterprise versus an SMB uh, versus uh, private citizens to do anything, let alone decide, oh, I should do something to make myself more secure and 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 protect the privacy and security of myself, my home, my family, my data, my company, my enterprise, and so on and so forth. Um, it, it's one of the things that I speak often about is what's missing is an understanding of. Uh, a motivation. Why are we doing all these things? Uh, in my 25 years being in the private sector, uh, doing mostly consulting, talking to other companies and trying to help them figure out security, uh, you know, the enterprise is, uh, and to some degree the SMB, but private industry in general is driven not so much by uh, the motivation to be more secure and do the right thing and protect their users and their employees and their customers, you know, it's economically motivated, you know, they're, they're in the business to make money and, and security and, and, and IT for that matter are line item expenses that take away from the bottom line. Um, So what is, and I speak somewhat in generalities, but what is more often the case in the private sector is companies with with exceptions, I'll acknowledge, but most companies, they're only going to do what they have to do in terms of security. So their tactic is to do the bare minimum, spend as little, you know, do it on the cheap, whatever gets by, whatever gets the proverbial check on the check in the box of whatever regulatory compliance standard that they have to meet. If they don't have that, they typically don't do that much other than, uh, you know, obviously from IT, get up and running, stay in business, competing in this modern connected world. Uh, so how does that translate then to, to, you know, private citizens at home, you know, even before the consideration of, of the new world that we're living in, 
for the most part, most people don't think about it and don't really care. Um, I know that I'm not answering your question, but I'm saying your question comes in my mind a way lot, way, you know, after yeah. having some more significant conversations about why, why, why should we do anything? And in the instance, you know, going back to the Florida plan, I was, I was on a, a virtual happy hour the other night talking with a lot of government people, people that are much more connected to what was going on uh, and what has been going on with this Florida uh, treatment plant in particular, but the, protecting critical infrastructure in general. Um, and, and it came down to the fact that because this is sort of, they're not even private sector, they're public sector, but they tend to be quasi-government and they tend to be local government uh, and they're notoriously underfunded, you know, from, from an IT perspective, yet alone security perspective. They rely a lot of, on automation, but largely they're not regulated in a, in a security or cybersecurity sense. They have other regulations like the stop gaps and the, the alerts that probably did save the day other than the guy noticed that the valves were changing, but the, 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 you know, the, the testing of the water before it went out into the public uh, to see that the lie levels were going up, that type of thing. You know, that, there's safety regulation in that instance, but not security regulation. So lack of regulation uh, is, I think, uh, the heart of the problem in that context. The, from a tactical standpoint, um, if you're an enterprise, you're going to do what you have to do. And if you're big enough and you've got money enough, you're going to, you're going to invest in more things and you get it, you get to, you get to buy more bells, boxes and bells and whistles and, and you know, machines with blinky lights. If you're an SMB, you're much more likely going to do the bare minimum, whatever you get by to get that checkbox or, uh, you're outsourcing, you're relying on somebody else to do it. And if you're a private citizen, largely, unless you're in the security uh, IT space, you're largely oblivious to everything that we're talking about. Uh, all the technology we use, you assume it works and you're happy to get the ads and the coupons and the, mm -hmm. oh, I didn't, I, I wondered where to, I was going to buy that. Yeah, I should go buy that. Uh, oh, look at that magic connection. Wow. It's giving me all sorts of information. I was just talking about this. I mean, we, we were willing to sell our data for convenience, right? And that's oh, the irony. Well, I, I kind of disagree with that though, because people aren't even aware that they're selling their, their well, data. That's true. Yeah. I mean, and that's, that's kind of the, 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 the the thing that's going on right now between Apple and Facebook, you know, where Facebook is going hard against Apple because Apple is changing some of the privacy settings for the benefit of the users on the mm -hmm. iPhone, which is, you know, 50 to 60% of Facebook's revenue because they use a universal tracking cookie across everything so that they can better advertise to you. And, you know, most people don't even know that there's, you know, universal ways to track you across all of your devices now. So they're not even aware you know, that they're giving away all of their information, you know, but to the point is, it's like, uh, I'm guilty of this myself, right? Like I use Google Maps when I'm trying to drive somewhere versus Apple Maps, because Google Maps, you know, harvests up everybody else's information who's using their cell phone while they're driving around. So the experience and the traffic routing on Google is way better. And I get to where I want to go, you know, a lot quicker when there's traffic out there. And yes, I'm giving up my information and I'm participating in it. 
you know, cause there was the, there was some German guy, I think a while ago, he put a bunch of cell phones in a wagon and then parked them on a street. So it would affect all of the uh, information being sent up to the mapping services. And then he created a traffic jam cause they all sent people around this one street where this, you know, little dude was walking up and down it with a, a little red wagon full of cell phones. And, you know, that's, that's the kind of environment that we're in. It's like the, the, the line of awareness that they should even be worried about these things. It's just not out there generally. And, and to me, that's very frightening because, you know, to Jeff's point, a lot of this goes to motivation and to systemic responses. And, mm-hmm. you know, like I mentioned earlier, our, our government is very guilty of these kind of things. And, you know, we're in a race with Russia, with China, with North Korea, and all these, you know, actors who have, you know, who are trying these kind of tactics out just to see how they work. And, you know, there's bills in the, in the military or in the government over here to say, like, can we have a military response to an information internet attack? Which to me is kind of a very frightening thing because the attribution of these attacks is so difficult. You know, by design, you could say to, to, to hide, you know, you don't want to give up the information of who's attacking who. So why not blame somebody else? Uh, and I, I don't think that the public is aware of this at all because, you know, like the, not to get too political, but the, the head of the, what was the guy who went off and immediately started his own cybersecurity company, but he was the chief cybersecurity executive of America. And, you know, Trump just fired him because he said the, you know, he disagreed with him that the elections were uh, fully valid, you know, and it didn't seem to make most people are, I knew you, they didn't, they, are you referring to Krebs? Chris Krebs, yeah, Chris yes. Krebs. Yes, yeah. thank you. He didn't actually go start his own company, he got hired by SolarWinds, ironically. Well, well, no, I thought he had a company with somebody else where he's basically a, a consultant. Well, he, he might be doing that on the side, but the headline yeah. I saw was that he got picked up by SolarWinds. Oh, yeah, but but my main point is like, you know, he he got fired. Um, for <laughs> a lot of people got fired though. So I think we're okay. Yeah, well, no true, but he got fired and it was, you know, he was trying to do something on a federal level, which for a lot of these attacks, especially like the nation state type of attacks, we have to have a federal response to it. Just kind of like with the vaccines that are going out right now, they, they move the responsibility of vaccinating people down to the States. And, you know, that's the logistics of that are problematic because not every state has you know the the ability to, to to handle the logistics right now and especially since the people they asked in on the state level to do the logistics are also the people running the hospitals that are overloaded dealing with the frontline you know parts of covid so it's sorry i went off on a little bit of a tangent there but it's it, these right. are but systemic issues that, they are uh, and i i feel bad because i feel like i didn't answer sia's question so i do want to try to give you a succinct answer to your tactical your tactics question, and uh, and and this is mostly true for enterprise and SMB, uh, you know, and it goes back to what I was saying early of you know understanding your motivations, understanding your strategy, and uh, you know if you're beholden to regulations, compliance standards, and you've got that attitude of bearing doing the bare minimum, stop, pause, take a look, and and step back and try to understand that probably the compliance uh, regulatory standard that you're being held to is probably fairly comprehensive and would get you a long way. And for the love of God, uh, most of these companies wouldn't get breached if, if a few basic things were happening 
mostly involving passwords right. uh, and, and and now more so than uh, than ever using I, I I'm old-fashioned I call it two-factor authentication MFA is a marketing term <laughs> which is an aside most of the conversations and the buzzwords are coming from the marketing departments not from the pr- practitioners um, so two-factor authentication and use a strong password, and that's true to the the, the consumer in the household, uh, or the, the now the remote employee. Uh, go change the password on your Wi-Fi router and make it long and complex, and uh, and um, do that wherever you can, and, and enable two-factor authentication wherever you can. And, and that's and I give Apple credit for you know, not, not to get partisan here, because I know C is not an Apple fan, but, you know, they've started to integrate that stuff into their ecosystem, where when you go in, you know, like you go to a website, and it'll say, would you like me to create a complicated password for you? Mm-hmm. You know, and then use your phone and your Mac, and it's, and I, I know you don't like multi-factor, but, you know, more than one factor is a, a way around making a password that's so heinous that you can't remember it, that you have to write it down, or, you know, if you make it easy to remember, then it's hackable. So it's it's a convenience thing. And most people will go towards the convenient path, not the secure path. At least that's what I found in my career. So well, if you can make it easy. So you like smile at your iPhone, your iPhone does, you know, face ID for you. Then it says, press this button to send your password token up. I think that's a better step. I don't think it solves the problem of broken, you know, passwords as a security measure are broken. Because, mm-hmm. you know, especially with the list that they can put out there and the, you know, eventually the, the computing power will be such that even that encryption can be trivially broken. Well, and you're, you're touching on what to me is the, the, the biggest paradox in our industry, mm-hmm. which is that if you talk to most aged experienced security professionals, they will tell you that technology alone, te- technological solutions what I what I call simply tools uh, alone don't get make you secure, make you a secure organization, make you a secure. I agree, hundred percent. There needs to be more than that, and yet our industry is sort of built around the ideas of automation, building security into things, providing those bells and whistles and blinky boxes, because a our our customers and and coworkers, the consumers of all these things don't understand it, don't want to understand it, don't think about it, don't want to think about it, don't really care. They just expect the technology to already have the security built into it. So there's this there's this idea within our industry that security is something that's either somebody else's responsibility in the organization or it's built into whatever it is that I'm using. I don't have to think about it. And and that's different from the culture that I grew up in, you know, back in the 80s in the Cold War, working for the DOD, where the entire organization, the culture of the organization was built around, we're doing a mission, our mission is secret, uh, all the information and data associated with our mission needs to be protected, need to be, needs to be protected in multiple ways with multiple layers and everybody has a role to play and everybody has to follow the rules and everybody understands the rules and everybody just, it, it, it's built into the fabric of their day-to-day uh, work life. It's, and it's, and, and while any one thing might fail, it didn't cause a total system failure. I'm talking mostly in a physical security sense in that context, but uh, 
that as an aged professional that started in the DOD and came out into the private sector and just like everybody else ran around trying to explain how, you know, what companies need to do to be secure. And it, it always, it always boils down to tell us what, what I need to buy, how many I need to buy, where do I need to put them? And, and what do I do if the light stops being green and turns, you know, amber or red? Uh, It's the external, I call it the external solution. You know, everybody wants a product, you know, to add on or another blinking light to put in your data center. And now we're, now we're, Oh, I forgot. Or the most important one, the machine that goes ping. (laughs) You guys, okay. You got, you're cracking me up on here guys, because I know it's not a question of just throwing more software or throw another box in. You do have to have a process in place though, like and procedures in place Obviously, humans are going to be the easy. I think to me, it's the lowest common denominator. As long as social engineering is going to exist, fishing and humans, you know, we have an, we as humans, I think, tend to trust more than not trust, right? And so for me, in my perspective, what I'm hearing from you guys is you really have to have this assumption then, if I was a CISO, for example, looking at my organization, uh, is it an extreme viewpoint to just go with a zero trust policy? Meaning I assume everybody, everything traversing my networks is potentially bad. And then I will create a policy framework around that with that assumption. Is that going to be a safe one or is that, do you think it's an extreme thing? Well, it used to be considered an extreme thing, you know, back when John Kinderbag started marketing this out when he was still back at Gartner, right? You know, he, in the early days, he would talk about it and, you know, in conversations with them, people would kind of laugh them out of the room like, oh, you don't need that. You just need a strong firewall at the perimeter. And that's all you need. But now, you know, as it's as COVID has shown and everything, everyone, uh, you can be working from anywhere, anytime. And actually, people are demanding it, right? Like, I want to be able to work from my iPad, wherever I am, I want to be able to work from my cell phone, you know, so you don't have just a I don't go to the office anymore and sit down at my desktop. And that's the only way that I have to worry about securing. So, you know, the perimeter has to shrink around the device you're using and you're going to be using many multiple devices. So you need to have those devices intrinsically secure, not, you know, externally made secure. And that's that's where a lot of the, 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 the bad transitions are happening right now. Or I shouldn't say bad transitions, but the you know, those are the difficult conversations you're having right now because most applications were built under the assumption that they didn't need to be secure or if they needed security, it was bolted on the on from the outside, like a firewall was put around them or they were, you know, logically separated out, you know, so the, the, the companies that are building things in the cloud, which by nature you, you know, if you're doing it correctly, the, the security is more built into the application. And therefore, you know, it's intrinsically more secure versus externally. And yeah, you're, you're touching on so many things there. Um, uh, you know, one of the failures of all so many of us people that came out of the DOD and thought we were going to, uh, you know, change the world and get rich in the process, to be completely honest, of uh, teaching security to the masses. You know, we came out with the classic military principle of, um, uh, uh, building a secure perimeter, building barricades and walls with you know moats mm-hmm. and, and and things like that, and and the and the further into the organization or network that you went, the the softer it 
tended to be because you had those perimeter protections. Um, I, I certainly can't claim credit to this. I've heard other people, you know, sort of float this idea that I agree with that the, the focus uh, finally needs to be off the perimeter because what the hell is a perimeter these days? Um, right. You know, at, and this is really the, why I say I'm, I'm an information security professional and not a cybersecurity professional, because at the end of the day, to quote uh, Ben Kingsley character, um, um, from the, the, the movie Sneakers, uh, the old Robert Redford movie, you know, it's all about the information, you know, mm-hmm. so the, it's, it's protecting the data and figuring out data flows, data storage, what data do you have that is valuable and how valuable is it and, and to what degree and for how long. These are things, like I said, back in the DOD, this, these were entrenched into all the processes and procedures I used to work for a top secret, uh, you know, organization. We had top secret classifications. We had secret. We had confidential. And even amongst the most secret, top secret information, even then, it was compartmentalized. Not everybody that had that level of clearance needed to know everything that was going on. And some top secret information had to be protected for five years. Other top secret information has to be protected for twenty years. Other top secret information pretty much has to be protected forever. We, that's never translated well into, into the private sector. In the private sector, you know, we make the companies do data classification, but it's typically you know, confidential or not. We care about it and, or we don't, and it's all lumped together. And, and, and I would suggest that companies, and, and, and again, exploring their ta- before their tactics, exploring their motivations, what are we trying to accomplish, Take a, a, a deeper look at the history of, wow, there used to be data classifications that were matrixed. Maybe we need to apply that to our organizations. And, and of course, I don't know how the new work world uh, factors into this, because this is an idea that I had a couple of years ago. But, uh, you know, maybe organizations need to figure out that certain data uh, they need to protect forever. Therefore, it shouldn't be all over the place. It should be in that mythical interior you know, crown jewels, isolated place. But there's other data that, uh, you know, is less uh, critical um, that that needs to be protected, but maybe not as long as we think, you know, just and, and, the, and develop the layers of responses for all of that. Anyway, I could go on and on, but I will shut up. No, I love that. I love it. And, and we could keep going on and on. So I'll, I want to ask one final question because we are getting up on time a little bit, gentlemen. So, Jeff, mm-hmm. you've talked to hundreds of CISOs and CEOs and C-suite. Um, what would you consider or what would you make suggestions on, you know, to be dramatic, these these attacks, you know, and just for the namesake of you know our podcast, Ransomware, you know, mm-hmm. what should they put together in anticipation because you know it's eventually going to happen they will eventually get hit so what kind of survival plan would you recommend in 2021 uh for these executives um i i would recommend if they don't have the uh, expertise or knowledge uh, in-house, uh, go out and find somebody that can talk to them to it. Uh, I would avoid the, sort of the knee-jerk reaction, uh, responding to the, the you know the latest 
uh, ambulance chasing, you know, news mongering, you know, news, you know, media, short, short attention span media cycle. Uh, but so much of the stuff that makes the news these days uh, in terms of major breaches and, and particularly ransomware are things that would be non-issue, non-issues if organizations would focus on sort of the fundamental basic um I was listening to one of your podcast, other podcasts where you were distinguishing between basic and fundamental. It might have been somebody else. I listened to a lot of podcasts. But, um, uh, you know, like I said, you know, having having strong passwords, using two-factor authentication, uh, this is uh, not... Uh, I hate to say, you know, patch everything because that's the easy answer. That's really hard to do. Figure out the most critical things that are involved in the protect in your most critical data sets and prioritize um, uh, patching and keeping systems cons- you know secure. Which, by the way, you're supposed to be doing anyway because you have a regulatory compliance standard that you're supposed to be following it. Uh, so, you know. Basics, fundamentals, the blocking and tackling. I hate to use a sports analogy, but uh, most, I think, people of my ilk in, in my tenure here, uh, that's what we pull our what's left of our hair out the most is you know f- time and time again the sophisticated uh, attack boiled down to not that somebody clicked on a link, but the 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 malware that they launched was exploiting a, a vulnerability that the patch had been available for seven years. Yeah. And that's inexcusable. And yet it's completely understandable if you are sitting in the shoes of the business operation and they're trying to prioritize and trying to economize their scant available resources. And they don't really know what they're doing anything because a million other people, sales and marketing people and their people and whoever are telling them to buy this, do this, do that, do that. You know, I don't know how anybody that doesn't know this business inside and out, uh, if you remember the old days, you know, pre-COVID, you know, or, um, trade shows like RSA conference or Black Hat conference, walking the trade show floor and the, being bombarded by the thousands of messages, which are all strangely sounding the same or using every year it's the same theme buzzwords that seem to emerge. Uh, I don't know how you navigate that. I don't navigate it well. And I've been in this industry almost 40 years. Um so try, try to shut all that out and, and focus on what are the basics. And if you're not sure, there's probably a regulatory compliance standard that you're supposed to be following that probably has the basics in there that you should be following. And if you're not sure, hire somebody like me who's an independent consultant that's interested in making sure you're as secure as you need to be and can help you navigate what's important, what's not, what do you care more about, what do you care less about, and putting it in the context of why you should care about this, why it matters, because if you do these things that seem innocuous and inane and annoying and boring and repetitive and not sexy at all, are actually going to help you at the end of the day to have a non-news event and then nobody right. knows. I think oh. I think you've nailed it on the head, right? Because, you know, in, in my viewpoint, security People used to, at least when I had these conversations, would say, oh, it's kind of like insurance. Like you kind of put security measures together so you don't have your name broadcasted on the news the next day. But 
really, I see the shift of security really moving towards actually enabling business and securing and ensuring business can continue. It's not just a, oh, well, we'll just buy a couple of software packages, apps here and there to, to you know, some firewalls there. It's really now part of actually increasing business productivity and ensuring that business actually can continue to function. It's more integrated is what I'm saying now is, is what I'm seeing. Well, it's, it's to, to agree with everything Jeff said, it's uh, you need to follow the basics, but yep. also nowadays, since, you know, COVID is a very strong forcing function and it's put a lot of businesses on the internet, whether they like it or not, like every restaurant has to be on the internet now to do, you know, takeaways or, you know, any type of uh, meal distribution, right? You know, because you're some places they're not, they're still not even allowed to have people sit in them. Right. So, so it's, it's now the, 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 the standard for working on the internet used to have security as optional with all of these, you know, newsworthy dramatic events that keep coming up. It's shown that the bar has been raised. It's no longer sufficient, you know, to, to, you know, blissfully ignore security. You have to have some sort of a strategy for it, for when it happens to you, uh, obviously you would love to prevent it as much as you can, but it's almost as important to figure out if this does happen to me, you know, to, to make fun of ransomware, right? Like if they do come in and encrypt all of your, your servers, do you have a backup of those servers that is not encrypted? Can, you know, what is your disaster? You know, it's like Jeff was saying that, you know, like these are standard things like disaster recovery plans. Like it used to be if your data center got hit by a hurricane or, you right. know, some, you know, a jet airplane crashed into your data center, what would you do? And, you know, the technologies now are, are out there, but people still aren't using them, right? Like you could have a virtual data center in the cloud, you know, to, to, to store your backups and leave it, you know, turned off just except for the, you know, your, your backups synchronizing. Or, you know, if you're a smaller company, you could have a solution like AirGap or where you could say it's security isn't my competency, but if I get affected by ransomware, I would like a kill switch or I would like some kind of mitigation where I could, you know, the, I, I used to call it like my, my, my grandmother who was born before electricity was available. You know, she, whenever she didn't know how to turn an appliance on or off, she would pull the plug out of the wall. And, you know, that's, it's, it's, it's a brutally effective way to do, you know, to, to accomplish the thing that you want to do. And it wasn't, you know, until later in my life that I realized because she was born before electricity started that they didn't have, when electricity first came out, you literally didn't have a switch. So to turn things on and off, you would have to plug them, you know, unplug and plug things in, you know, cause a switch was an innovation, you know, so that to me, to have that kind of a functionality like that AirGap provides for people who don't want to have a, you know, dedicated security person on staff where they can just press a button and then it turns everything off. And then they would likely, as I'm sure Jeff understands, hire a team to come in and do forensically and try to, you know, dig them out of the situation that they're in. You know, you need those, that kind of a thinking, like you need a response to this, not in case it happens, but when it happens. One final point I would like to make, if I may, is I think a lot of this boils down to a, a fundamental misunderstanding of what it is we actually do. And this is within our community of security professionals, as well as the whole world. Ask somebody to sometime, what is security? You say you're a, a security professional. What is it? And, and to, to cut to the chase, I think in our community, it boils down to two things. One, security in the sense of it's a state that you achieve. You've, you've created an impenetrable, you know, 
impermeable environment, system, network, whatever, that can't be penetrated, can't be compromised, can't be breached. And I think that's what most people think of when they talk about security. I would propose that there's a second, and I think it's actually a more important definition of security. I simply say security is a verb. It's something you do. It's a journey. It's a, it's a process. It's all the things that you do to try to monitor your operations, monitor your enterprise, monitor your environment, and try to pay attention to uh, if something bad might be happening and stopping it, halting it, preventing it, minimizing the damage of it. But it's, it's all the things you do that's essentially monitoring and detection and response. Whereas most of what our industry talks about, which is vulnerability, whack-a-mole, threat detection, and all that kind of stuff, is all to get you to a state of being impenetrable and impermeable and being secure. Um, that's where most of the industry goes. That's where most of the money is spent. But the the unsung heroes are the ones that are you know standing guard, standing watch. They're they've they've got their their finger on the pulse of the network, and they have you know. And these are people that I've met over the years in what I consider to be secure organizations. They're the ones that are like mm, there's something not right, and I'm going to investigate it and figure out what's going on. It, it just be, and it's not it's not science as much as they they just know their box they know their system they know their network well enough and they know what's normal well enough to know when something's not normal and they investigate it and of course unfortunately that we attempt to automate and out of you know because of all the technology we actually have to automate a lot of that um but behind all the automation in my opinion there still needs to be that person or persons that just have that innate sense and the experience and the familiarity with what's normal to detect what's not normal and, and hopefully minimize the damages caused by the inevitable breach. No, I love it. And on that note, I mean, guys, we could keep talking and we are way over time than normal. Jeff, I see you. And, and I love it. I've decided you're my friend, Jeff, and I really enjoy talking to you. For those that want to get to know you more, how can one get a hold of you? Or what, uh, you know, I know you've written some great books. So share us uh, with us. How do we get a hold of you? Uh, from a day job consulting perspective, my email is jman at obsglobal.com. That's online business systems. Uh, I also do podcasting. Uh, I, I host a, a podcast called Security and Compliance Weekly, which is why I was talking about compliance this whole time. Uh, and I also am a co-host on Paul Security Weekly. You can find either of them at securityweekly.com. Excellent. You guys, that was such a fun conversation for me. It's actually a reinforcement. It, I'm just saying like our conversations, it's not like rocket science. It's nothing new, but it's discipline. It sounds like to me what's resonating every time I hear you guys talking it has a lot to do with having process and procedures put into place, right? So you understand what the steps are, but having the discipline to maintain it, to actually do it you know, on a weekly or a monthly basis, whatever your policy requires you to do or what you guys want to set for your business. So guys, thank you so much for your time. I think this is a great opportunity for us to just go ahead and stop it right here. Um, talking about tactics and measures for ransomware in the enterprise workplace, that will wrap it up for the ransomware battleground. Thanks guys. Have a great weekend. Until next time. You too. Bye-bye.